0: Rachel. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. <laughs> my name is Nate Cashtan. I'm the associate pastor here, uh, but I'm, I've been gone for a few weeks, and I'll be gone for a few more um, in California, um, helping my, my parents out um, as they transition into, um, or as he, my dad transitions into retirement and um, Helping him as he's been diagnosed with cancer and is dealing with that. And uh, so, anyways, uh, we've just a quick update on us. Um, we've been we've been doing well. There's challenges and difficulties, and fires. And um, you can ask somebody about that story that knows it, because there's not time to tell it. But uh, everybody's fine, and Zeb's getting new stuff. So. Uh, but uh, God's good, and one, one cool thing is that my, my dad said, uh, he goes, hey, ever since y'all told you church and started praying, I've noticed that my pain levels drastically decreased. And, um, and so that's, that's, praise the Lord for that. Um, it's, it's good to see him getting around a little more, and um, yeah, so I appreciate y'all praying for me. Those of you that have sent those encouraging texts, uh, they've been encouraging. That's why I labeled them encouraging texts. Um, A little update on uh, on Keith Nichols. Uh, You know, y'all know Keith and Carrie. They've been dear members here for much longer than I have, and um, uh, he had surgery on Thursday. Uh, It went well, better than better than expected, Um, and so our prayer now is that he'll be able to um, basically uh, meet all of his goals that are required for him to leave the hospital. And they're trying to leave tomorrow which is great because, if you guys don't know, he had surgery on, on Thursday, leaving Monday. Uh, they originally told K- Keith and Kerry he could be in the hospital up to two weeks, um, and so this is this is great news for them. Uh, Carrie texted yesterday and said that he had met all of his requirements um, that they had for him yesterday. He was walking and doing all the other things you need to do before they let you go. You guys know what those are, and um, so continue to pray for... Uh, For Keith and for Carrie um, during this time. Even let's do that right now. Lord, we come to you right now thankful, still crying out, God, for a creative miracle, God, over Keith. Uh, Father, standing in agreement, rebuking cancer over his body, and even over the cancer in my dad's body, Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you, God, for the the report, uh, the good report, and for the strength that you've uh, that you've filled Keith and Carrie with in this time and father even tomorrow as they celebrate their 30th anniversary god bless them with the gift of being to uh, a gift of being able to celebrate at home and not in the hospital lord and just continue to to pour out abundance favor and your your great new mercy on them each day in jesus name amen all right if you don't have the notes slip your hand up and Uh, boss man Frank or oh I'm sorry (laughs) Mrs. Frank no (laughs) Mrs. Norma uh, will get you some notes and they might they might help you uh, today as we go through this open your Bibles if you would also to Exodus chapter 19 Genesis Exodus it's on page 62 if you have my Bible Um, that joke's still funny sometimes All right. So about three weeks ago, I think was the last time I preached, and um, we talked about fellowship as an action step to defeat unbelief and build faith. Pastor Glenn had started a series called Action Steps to Defeat Unbelief, and we talked about all the different axes that we could use, and mine that I covered was, was fellowship. And so we, we talked a lot about that. We used the word koinonia, right? Everybody heard the word koinonia, right? Everybody say Koinonia. Oh, you're all Greek scholars. That's good. I know a little Greek. His name's John. Um, takes a second for a few people. It's okay. Um, koinonia, this might be in your notes. Koinonia uh, is, is a word, that's the word we get fellowship from in, in the Bible. So, but koinonia is actually translated several different ways based on the context in the New Testament. So sometimes it's used to depict uh, sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Sometimes it's used to depict fellowship, like gathering, like what we're doing right here. Sometimes it's used to depict uh, giving, contributing to the needs of others uh, with money or with your time or with your talent, and uh, it's used many different ways. But the the idea that we need to walk away from uh, or walk away with knowing is that koinonia is not just one of those things; it's all of those things all together, functioning together. Here's this definition I wrote down. Koinonia depicts an interactive relationship between God and believers who are sharing new life through Christ. The Greek word captures the entirety of this relationship, and it involves active participation. Say active participation. Active participation. That's right. In Christian community, sharing in spiritual blessings and giving material blessings. So we talked about how to use fellowship as a tool to defeat unbelief today, um, or what I want to do, in a way, is sort of backtrack and talk about ways that the title for today, it's in your notes, is Experiencing Effective Koinonia, or Fellowship. Okay, so we can have koinonia, we could go through the motions even of, of showing up, of giving, of, of um, sharing in blessings with others, but Is it affecting real change in us, in the kingdom? Are we moving God's heart in the way that we do that, in the way that we fellowship, in the way that we share, in the way that we give? Is it effective? Uh, And so that's what I want to talk about today is ways that we can make it effective, doing, doing our part, okay? Is that all right? If it's not, we're doing it anyways. So that was really just a nice thing for me to say. About a year ago, um, almost exactly a year ago, I preached a message. I was doing a little series called The Same Works as Jesus. Some of you remember, you probably all remember it, have it on your phone saved as your favorite podcast and stuff like that. It's cool. I get it. Um, but anyways, one of the ones we covered was was Jesus's, uh, one of the works of Jesus is that he had a radical, has, had, as we looked in scripture, and has currently a radical love for the church, okay? And, those words, that word "radicals" used on purpose. It, his, his love for the church is so big that he what? He died, right? And then told, he even said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her, okay? He loves the church a lot. If you ever doubt, go back and read Ephesians, okay? So, we talked about the two different words or two different kind of approaches to the way that he loves. He loves the ecclesia, right? The gathering or the assembly or, or the, what we're doing here, right? He loves that, okay? But he also loves the koinonia. So we went in and we talked a lot about koinonia. So this is more of a, a pickup from where we left off a year ago, which I'm sure you all remember. I didn't remember. It's okay. I had to go back and look at my notes. Um, but basically, ecclesia defines the group, and koinonia defines the function of the group, okay? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. I want to give you practical steps uh, using principles from Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, uh, to help help us fellowship and, and have koinonia more effectively, okay? All right. If it's truly the function of the church, I want to know how to do it the right way. Let's pray, and then we'll get into this, Lord. Would you open the eyes of our understanding, Lord, this morning to, to truly leave with tools to affect real change, Lord, Father, that to, in ourselves. God, that we, would, that we would walk away knowing how to prepare for true fellowship, that we'd walk away knowing how to partake and participate in true fellowship, and how to pass on uh, this culture of koinonia in our families and in, in our church. God, that that it truly is a culture that's developed and not just just a fad or a diet, something that's temporary, but that's true lifestyle. We need your help, Holy Spirit. We need the truth from your word. We need examples of Jesus. We need examples of the New Testament church. We are the New Testament church, Father. As we look back at the original measuring stick, God, I pray this morning, Father, that we would humble ourselves before you, to walk away with the tools, the application that we need. We trust you to give us great measures of faith to walk places that we haven't walked before. In your name, amen. All right. uh, One of my pastors at a church in California where we were at before we came here, he was really, really into um, uh, having uh, sermon notes or sermon points that either rhymed or all started with the same letter or would, that were some sort of uh, something gram, something with letters and words. Just uh, everything was always like that. And uh, for for the year, he would always come up with a saying that rhymed, right? It's like, be divine in 2009 or whatever it was. Yeah, that probably wasn't it. But anyways, he was like that. And so I was putting these things together yesterday, and uh, and I realized that the points that the Lord was laying out, uh, um, were, we're all starting with the letter P, and I was like, oh, well, I didn't do that on purpose, but uh, anyways, it kinda, it's kind of funny. I'm not that creative, so um, anyways, Exodus chapter 19, if you turn there, if you're not there already, um, talking about preparation, okay, one of the most important things uh, that we need to know as we as we talk about how to prepare to have effective koinonia, or how to prepare to have effective fellowship is that we have to understand that Jesus is the central figure in koinonia. Okay? And that if we gather and we're not gathering first together with him, we've missed the point. Okay? So if even even today coming coming to church for if I come to church for Nate, that's not bad. But if I come to church For Nate first, I've missed the point. See, actually, we come gather because of Jesus. We come gather for Jesus. We come gather to love on Jesus, and then we are all effective. I I still receive. Okay, there's a there's a fear. I think that a lot of us walk in. Sometimes and are like, "Well, if I if I don't look out for number one, I'm not going to get what I need." Okay, that's not a new problem. You can read your Bible. And, and that's not that's not new. But uh, but there's a there is read the story of the Israelites. It was all about. But if we don't, even when Moses left, they were like, well, what if I get, we have to build a calf? I don't know. I don't know. That was that was that was done out of fear. Okay? They did it out of fear because and they were looking out for number one. If we don't do this, we won't get what we need. Okay, And so I encourage you, even right now, just open your mind to that idea that may be fresh. It's okay if it's fresh. But this idea of truly coming to meet with Jesus first in everything that you do. With that on your mind, with that on your heart, and with that in your actions, your actions reflecting that truth, then we move forward into how to prepare. Okay, How do we prepare uh, for fellowship, or how do we prepare for koinonia? I'm going to read this story out of Exodus 19. About how the Israelites prepared to meet with God. Okay, and we're going to just draw a few principles out of it um, because I really want to focus a lot of time on this number one and number three um, today in your notes. So uh, follow along with me. I'm reading out of the necessary and vineyard version. And, uh, um, anyways, I might skip around and read fast, but bear with me. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai, after they set out uh, from Rephidim, They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the house of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people, set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. By the way, that's a really good response. Just write that down. Okay, That's just great. If you just read the Bible and then say, We will do everything the Lord has said. That's good. Then you got to do it. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud... So that the people will hear me speaking with you, and you will always and, and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds, a long blast may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. And then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. uh, Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, and with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire, naturally. And the smoke billowed up from it like smoke the, the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the loud sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. And the Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And then Moses gets the Ten Commandments. That's the next next chapter, and so on. Okay, so I looked here, I read the story, and I said, what principles can we draw out of this? Because these people just met with God. God said, said to Moses, gather the people so they can hear me talk to you. Okay, basically they said, I want them to eavesdrop on our conversation and see this. Okay, and so Moses went down and told the people, you're going to overhear what God's going to say to me. We need to get ready. So there was a process that they actually went through to get ready to overhear God speak to Moses or to be close to his presence. That's pretty intense. They weren't meeting with God. Moses was. They were overhearing it. Now, it's really cool. I understand that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that don't translate through to the new covenant. Thank God, right? So the, the, the veil's torn. We can come into his presence and not die. And we can we we can approach him without the mediator, without the priest, and, and these are great things. But the principles I want to draw out of this are in your notes, and kind of answer the question: What did the Israelites do to prepare to meet with God or prepare to to fellowship with God? And the first thing that was important to them uh, that I see from this story is holiness. Is that Moses told them go wash your clothes? Okay, it was a sign of 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 purifying, right? It was a, an act, an action step that they could actually take to to become not dirty, not stinky, not stained, uh, because they were going to go, it was almost like getting dressed up, okay? Holiness was important. They valued presenting themselves holy before the Lord. Uh, he, it says here in this passage, it's quoted again in Hebrews, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, right? So if, if we are indeed holy, if we are indeed set apart, we should be set apart. Right? If he has labeled us priests, if he has labeled us holy, if he has labeled us royal, act like it, right? That's and so and so in one of the one of the practical ways that we could prepare for effective fellowship is to value holiness. It's like Moses and the Israelites valued holiness. Okay. The second thing is a fear of the Lord. I see that they had a, a extreme fear of the Lord. It demonstrated in the fact that, they, that Moses had to set up barriers so that they couldn't get to the foot of the, the, foot of the mountain or else they would die. Okay? And, and Moses had this fear. He, he knew he was serious. He knew God was serious, which is why he told the people, don't do it. And remember, you remember from the story, the, the fire comes down in the cloud, and this, this conversation that goes on that says, like, just so you know, they're going to start pushing and shoving to try to get up to me. Stop them because it's not going to go good for them. And so he does. He stops them. And he even says, and, he, and, and Moses comes and reminds God, remember you told us to set up barriers, you know, to not come up to you. And, well, okay, get the priests and, you know, and, and so on. You can reread the story. But the fear of the Lord is important. See, when we're fearing the Lord, we get outside of ourselves. We stop worrying so much about what, what other people think, even what I think about myself, and I worry about what he thinks about me. I worry about what he says about me and he says over me and what he tells me to do. When I'm fearing the Lord, I'm valuing his precepts, his statutes, his commands over other things. Okay, you can have a you can have a weak fear of the Lord and still have you can still have some fear of the Lord. It's like, well I value what he says about marriage, but I don't really value what he says about church. A weak fear of the Lord. I want, I want to see in myself, I want to see in our church and our families an intense fear of the Lord, an intense fear of the Lord, where we value, where we are crying out, Lord, I'm positioning myself before you. I'm putting myself at your mercy and saying, I, I only want what you want. I only want what you want. I'm not concerned with what the world says over me. I'm concerned with what you say over me. I'm concerned with what your word has commanded me to do. I'm concerned with who you've revealed yourself to be in Scripture. That's what I'm concerning myself with and spending my time wondering about. Fear of the Lord combats selfishness. That's good. And the third thing in preparing that I see from this story is obedience. Okay, the people... Now, the people didn't always, the Israelites we know, they didn't always obey, but they did in this story. So Exodus 19 is a good example of their obedience. Now, what, was their, what was their answer? Remember when Moses comes down with this message from the Lord, God says, go tell all the peoples. He tells the people, and the people say, we will do it. Right? That's, that's good. That's obedient. They, they, they did the right things, exactly what they should have said, and they obeyed. They waited. They heard the trumpet blast. They all went, and we said, don't come out to the mountain until you hear the trumpet. Like they heard the trumpet blast. They all came out. Don't touch the mountain. So they didn't. They said, listen. So they listened. They trembled, right? Bec- and we'd tremble too, by the way. If an entire mountain was shaking and there was lightning, and st- it's like it clear skies over here and there's fire like a furnace and then there's lightning and thunder and I don't, we'd probably tremble. Definitely record it, right? You know, i will be sitting down there like this. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? All right. Um, obedience in the context I want to try to tie this principle in right here but obedience is a good way to prepare for effective fellowship but it's not I'm not just talking about obedience as it has to do with fellowship do you understand what I'm saying? so, so obedience I'm not saying the way to prepare for fellowship is to obey and go fellowship that's part of it not, I'm not saying the way to prepare for fellowship is to give that's part of it I'm not saying the way to prepare to fellowship is to to participate, but that's part of it. But really, to have a lifestyle of obedience to God, which these are all tied together. The fear of the Lord, holiness, obedience, they're all tied together. Okay, but to have that lifestyle is an overflow. Even Greg talked this morning in Sunday school as he said, He's talked about obedience. He said, he said something to the effect of, of delayed obedience is just disobedience. And we actually have to build a culture within ourselves to where obedience is just, it's not even our second nature. It is our nature. That's just what comes out. We don't have to think about, is it, what's the right thing to do? We just do the right thing. Okay? Is it, did I get, that, I get that right? Yeah. I listen, right? But, uh, but it's good. It's good because it's true. It's true that, that when, we gr- when we root ourselves in the scripture, and Skye mentioned this too, she said, if I'm not in the Bible every day, I have to wonder, you know, about well, what is the right thing to do? But, but when you immerse yourself in the word of God, you really get his heart for situations where you can react in obedience, and that's a really good way to prepare, to meet together. It's a really good way to prepare for koinonia, for fellowship. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Good. That's great. Made sense to me too. Um, it did. I, guys, listen, I'm here this morning because I love Koinonia. This wasn't a requirement for me to be here. Like, the, Glenn didn't say you need to come back. Actually, the opposite. He's like, you don't need to come back. He told me because he loves me. And he said, I want you to focus on your family. You do what you need to do. Don't come. And I, and I was like, I, I need to come back, man. Like, like, because I love Koinonia. I do. I really do. I love y'all. <clears throat> All right. When we prepare our hearts for fellowship, we can follow the same principles as the Israelites. Um, And then we'll really be ready to to go to the next step and to to give what we have and to receive what our brothers and sisters have. Right? That's good. Okay? They came first and foremost for God, and in doing so, they communed with each other, and they experienced this whole thing, the presence of the Lord, together, which is great. Okay? Number two, participation. Turn to Acts chapter 2. It's one of my favorite passages in scripture here, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. I'm just going to read it real quick, and then we'll we'll jump through this pretty quick and get to number three. Okay, this is after the Holy Spirit comes and blows things up. Peter gets up and preaches, we're not drunk, we're drunk on the Holy Spirit, and people are like, we believe, and 3,000 people get saved, and the church gets started, and And uh, it says, verse 42 of Acts chapter 2 says, They devoted themselves, meaning meaning the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, that word is koinonia, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. That's a huge verse. Uh, Every day, by the way, don't lie about how much you got when you sold, because there's another story about that in here. So anyways, uh, uh, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That's huge too. Enjoying the favor of all the people And the Lord added to their number daily, say daily, Daily. woo! those who are being saved. That's good. All right. Participation is the second, kind of the second act or whatever of koinonia. The preparation, the participation. Uh, There's, there's, I was thinking about this, this over this last week, and there's just some people in our congregation, many of you just do this very well. Many, I mean, many of you do it very well, and some people that st- I don't have time to name everybody's name, but the Lord really highlighted uh, Norm to me. Norm Minkey, he he does the he does the participation very well, uh, wholeheartedly. You can see uh, what, where he prioritizes things. Todd and Sarah Adams, they do they do participation very, and I'm not talking coming on Sunday mornings. This, I mean, that's part of it, but but they do participation very well. Joseph and Chelsea Schultz, they do participation very well. And these are people that we can really learn from and, and people that the Lord has, uh, has done an, um, amazing works in. They'd probably be the first ones to tell you to, to, give, to give credit to where they're at to Jesus uh, in, in their lives. So um, so the, in participation, the first thing that, that we can do is show up. Well, I think it says that in your notes. You got to be there to participate. Okay, as people are like, how can, I, how can I get more involved in Koinonia? Get more involved. Okay, that's the answer in the question. So um, the early church devoted themselves, that, that word devoted, they, they prioritized, right? They, they made sacrifices for, they, they made it known outwardly that inwardly this was important, okay? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Many of you are like, yeah, I can devote myself to the breaking of bread. <laughs> like, I could do that. I could devote myself to breaking of bread. That one's easy. I could devote myself, and a lot of the times we think devoting ourselves in this, even in this passage, oh, I devote myself to fellowship. Well, I'm at church however many Sundays a month. That's pretty good devotion. Man, that we're kind of missing the point of Koinonia it's not it's not church attendance that obviously is an overflow but remember first it's meeting with Jesus and first it's the sharing in and participating in and giving and contributing and 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 experiencing it's an interactive uh, word okay so show up you got to be there to participate number 2 give god's design for his church doesn't work without everyone participating and giving money to the support or to support the work of the local church. going to let that one hang for a minute. No. Oops. Just kidding. The early churches recorded having sold possessions and goods because it was better for the body. I love it. It also says they had glad and sincere hearts and enjoyed the favor of all the people having done that. So again, there's a fear. It's like, well, if I, if I tithe or if I give, then I won't have enough for... But it actually says that they, they, they had glad and sincere heart. Sounds like they had more than it. Actually, that's it says that no one had a need. That that's the reason they gave is to meet all the needs. So if we if we give, the needs go away. It's just amazing, right? Paul, I don't have to tell you this, man. You know. Come on. It also says they had or, uh, uh, they well it, they gave extravagantly. We know that. And I just want to encourage you, if you, don't, if you don't tithe, if you don't give, just start today. Actually, it's the only place in Scripture that I know of, that in Malachi 3.10, where God says, test me. That's that's massive. Do you guys understand that? The creator of the universe says, Joshua, test me in this. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> okay, because the reason, you know that God can't make a promise he can't keep, right? So like, he, he makes this massive promise that See if I won't pour out more blessing than your storehouses have, right? Like, see if I won't open. I think he says rend the heavens. See if I won't rend the heavens. It's the same verbiage that was used when Noah built the ark and rain came for the first time. It's the same words. He says, see if I, see if I won't tear back the skies. Remember there was an expanse. You Remember the creation, right? There was an expanse. There was water below. There was water above, too. And the expanse opened Right, there was an opening, and the water came, and it, and it also boiled up like geysers. from the, It's the same words. See if I won't open up the expanse and shower down so much blessing. He says, that's what he talks about when he talks about tithing. I'm like, no-brainer, right? I'm serious. The blessing's there. If you, don't, if you don't do it, I just encourage you to start today. And then look out, or look up. <laughs> Get an umbrella. Test God. And the third thing and participation is receive. There's give and there's receive. Okay, when I come, when we come and we, we come to meet with Jesus, we come to meet corporately, we come to share in these blessings together, we come with something to give, first to the Lord, then to each other. But we also come, if we all come with something to give, we all come to receive too, right? I'm gonna receive what Paul has, what Glenn has, what Joel has, I'm gonna receive it because y'all are coming to give it. So whether that's a blessing or a gift or just the, just the love of just knowing y'all are family or here or hugs or whatever it is, Y'all come, and you can receive too. Come with Jesus as the central figure. Come with him as as your main reason for gathering, as your main focus in koinonia, and then watch the overflow of receiving. How many of you guys have testimonies? Probably most, if not all of you, of like, I came in empty. I came in with very little to give, but I came in with my weak yes, and I left like, just like, fool. Right, Lane? See? She's, she's full, she, or she wants to be full. Maybe that's, <laughs> fill me up, I'm empty. Her stomach's like as big as this cap, so it gets empty pretty quick, so, all right. Koinonia isn't complete without receiving from the Lord and from others. We receive so much when koinonia is happening. In Acts 2, they enjoyed favor, and no one had any uh, unmet needs. Uh, it says many miraculous signs and wonders were being performed, and people were getting saved every single day. So you tell me, people weren't receiving in koinonia, man? People were receiving every single day, under the, what? It was when the conditions were met. Okay, it was when it was when they were experiencing true and complete koinonia. We good? Number three, preservation, preparation, participation, preservation. Evaporation. Guys, you remember that song? Wow, just went somewhere else. Um, preservation. Guys, if we don't set up a lifestyle, say lifestyle, lifestyle. A lifestyle of koinonia, then it's just like a diet. If y'all are on a diet, I don't judge you. But diets generally don't work because of, what, of, of how they're, well, they, they might accomplish a, a short-term purpose, but diets in their definition are short-term. Okay, so they're they're temporary. That's that's just in the definition. It's it's a short term thing. So if if we if we diet on koinonia, then when the diet's over, then what? You, you guys see what I'm saying? And I'll tell you what is the then what is isolation or indifference? Happens all the time. See it happen to our brothers and sisters all the time. The devil wants you isolated because koinonia is powerful. Koinonia is is where is a lot of the time where our strength is, is built up the most is in Koinonia. So if, if the joy of the Lord is our strength, we find joy in gathering together. What does the devil want us to do? Not gather. Isolate. You don't need it. You can do church at home. You can, all the different, it starts out small, like, well, mm, well, uh, well, uh, and then four months have gone by and you're living some other life, Okay the devil wants you to isolate we have to set up a lifestyle of koinonia in our families we have to pass on to the next generation these principles of koinonia and why it's important we have to pass it on proverbs 22 6 says train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he will not depart from it Friends, more, and I'm not just talking about children because more's is caught than taught. You guys know that, right? Kids are like sponges, but some of us never grow out of being sponges. We still soak stuff up, okay? And so what we will soak up is we will, we'll, Norm, what, it, what Norm always says, like you're the sum of your five closest friends or something like that. Anyways, Norm's got a lot of wisdom. What is it? The product of your five closest friends. So we surround ourselves, we should surround ourselves with people, that are going to pour the lifestyle of Koinonia into us, that are truly living it. Because our children, the, the younger generation, even the older generation, all of the generations, are going to look around and they're going to feed off of what they see going on around them. Okay, my kids, can, my kids know how important Jesus is, how important church is, how important fellowship is, how important worship is, how important loving others is because of watching me and Kaylee. Kaylee and I, whatever, because of watching us. That's how they know primarily. We teach them with our mouth, but they know primarily because of where our money is. You put your money where your mouth is, right? They know primarily because of how we behave. Yeah. One of the greatest, just I'll close with this. Worst team you can get up here. One of the greatest examples of this I saw in my own life just a few months ago. You guys remember Keith Becker? He was a, a, a homeless man that got saved uh, here in October. Praise the Lord! He got baptized. He's gone to be with the Lord uh, now. Um, which praise God that uh, that he never stopped. Ru- God never stopped running after Keith, uh, and and we celebrate um, the work that was done in him. But my he was he was staying with us for a little while, and my kids didn't understand homelessness. You know, like, I was like, you know, we see homeless people downtown. Zeb gives them money, and which I love. He teaches me. Zeb teaches me a lot. Um, and he goes, well, what do you mean they don't have a home? I'm like, well, they don't have a home. And so you see through conversation where they where kids go with that is they go, well, they don't have a house. So where do they put all their stuff, right? This is a kid. Well, where do they put their bed? Where do they put their bike? Where do they put their dresser and their clothes and their, their food and their refrigerator if they don't have a house? That's where they're going with it. And so we brought Keith to our house. And, and Keith had a, a tote and his, and his backpack and his dog. <laughs> Rowdy. And, uh, and so I, Keith was taking a shower. And so I took the kids out into the garage. And I said, this is Keith's stuff. And they said, where's the rest of it? And I said, this is all of his stuff. And as soon as they saw it, and they realized why we were doing what we were doing. But until they saw it, it was just an idea. And so so you guys see that we can say whatever we want. We can believe up here whatever we want. But until this... does (laughs) what's in here, we're not actually setting a a great example for those around us. So praise God, y'all are setting a great example by being here this morning. (laughs) But you can encourage me. And you guys see that, like Todd and Sarah, you set an example for me just being here. But I'm here too. So you're like, how can I set an example for you? Because it strengthens me. God has set it up in his kingdom for us to be strengthened, built up, and for us to grow in a local church setting. Yeah. God uses the family analogy on purpose. Yeah. Family is important. You do everything with You live with your family, right? You, you go through hard things with your family, great things with your family. You have little fights with your family. But at the end of the day, they're your family. Yeah. That's why he calls us a family. Because it, it it operates very very similar to how your your blood family operates. Sometimes you have a dysfunctional family. We have dysfunction too. Okay, just a lot less in River in the Hills, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends. I just want to encourage you just to in your own life, in your family's life, and just in the way that you participate here at River in the Hills, uh, to just to raise 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 the standard. To, to Jesus' standard. There's, what, there's things that we can do to, to prepare. There's things that we can do to participate. And there's things we can do to, to persevere or to preserve. To just set up um, a lifestyle that will, that will help the church. That will help your family grow and be strengthened and experience true effective koinonia. And true effective kingdom change. Where we will see the things that we just read about in the book of Acts salvations, healings, deliverances, miracles, signs, and wonders, the overflow and presence of the kingdom when these things are happening. Amen? Amen. Why don't you pray with me? The worship team is going to play. And prayer team, you guys, can, you guys can come forward, home group leaders and staff. Lord, I thank you this morning for the koinonia that's happened all morning here. Lord, I thank you, God, for for sharing, for contributing, for meeting together, for bearing one another's burdens, for the prayer, for the caring, the kindness, Lord, the hugs, the tears, the hellos and the goodbyes. I thank you, Lord, for family right here at River in the Hills where we experience this true fellowship. Lord, I ask you this morning humbly, search me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart, Lord, just to see if there be any wicked way with me and see if there be any wicked way in us, Lord, as it pertains to Koinonia. If, we, if we're acting selfishly in the way that we participate, in the way that we prepare, if we're acting sinfully, Lord, behaving with sin may we repent and come to the Father who loves us who only wants to give us good gifts that's what your word says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights Lord I thank you for the promise of Jesus I thank you Jesus that you came to bring life I thank you that you came to destroy the works of the devil that you came with abundance, that you came voluntarily, that you experienced everything we experienced without sin, that you set a perfect example and standard of what it means to truly love, what it means to truly fellowship, what it means to truly be a family. You set the example. You instituted this thing we call church. I thank you so much for the local church. And Father, I pray a blessing over this local church, River in the Hills. Would you even stand with me and just let's bless our church together? We speak a blessing over River in the Hills Church, Lord, in every area, God. Spiritual blessings, material blessings of provision, Lord. Lord, I pray, God, over, over every giver here, bless finances, Lord, as we give, We thank you for pouring out everything we need, Lord. As we give, as you've asked us to give, as you've demonstrated giving, Lord, may we have a a heart of extravagance, generosity, and joy when it comes to giving, Lord. May it be the first check we, we, we write every month, the first credit card transaction. Pray, God, a rich blessing over the programs that you've instituted here at River in the Hills. A rich blessing over every staff member, over every elder, over every volunteer in any area ushers and hosts, children's workers, gatekeepers. Thank you, Lord, for the prophetic company, home group leaders, home group hosts women's leaders, men's leaders, youth leaders. Thank you, Lord, for these who give of their time and their talent. Thank you for our worship team, Lord. Father, I just speak a rich blessing over River in the Hills Church this morning, God, that you would grow us. Father, that you would nurture us as we grow. you'd protect us, guide us, and keep us, Lord, as we are your children, we are your body. And Father, as we go about the rest of this day, this week, this month, God, remind us to take these action steps, even that we've learned about, to defeat unbelief, Lord, that we would pray in the Spirit, that we'd read the Word of God, take it as our medicine, that we'd be thankful, that we'd give thanks, Lord, that we would fellowship, that we'd prepare Lord, in holiness and obedience, Lord, and even as Glenn preached last week, Lord, we would exercise the faith like the Syrophoenician woman in desperation and humility, God, crying out to you, the author and finisher of our faith, the giver of good gifts, the holder of every every good thing that we desire. You withhold no good thing from your children. We love you. Lord.